Today I'd like to begin a series of messages, actually, entitled, The Power of Your Life. I announced this in both, I announced, actually announced in both services last Sunday as we celebrated our 20th anniversary of the church. That wasn't bad, was it? I announced that I was planning to bring this message uh, because of a stirring inside of me from the Lord, but what I didn't realize at the time as, as I began to work on it, obviously much more this week, uh, that it's intended to be a series of messages which we'll plan to cover over the next several weeks. And as some of you know, this is not the first time this kind of thing's happened. Uh, I'm still waiting to finish my series on Romans. <laughs> I started 15 years ago and never quite, never quite. I got through, for those of you who don't know, I got through Romans 8, which is the easy part of Romans. And we had a blast. And then it was starting to get pretty deep water there fast. And so... I didn't know what to do, so I just quit. <laughs> but I want to bring you this message called The Power of Your Life because the Bible's clear in showing us that as children of God, bought by the blood of Christ, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, or dwelt by the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, we have incredible power and influence living inside of us, every one of us. Did you know this? This power is not just reserved for the trained professionals or the radical fringe of the church. This power is meant for all of us. This power, this influence, is resident in each and every one of us as those who have been bought by Christ. So as I, I was, you know, pondering all this and trying to sort it out in my way of hearing the Holy Spirit, and as I really sought the Lord about which of the many, many examples in the Bible that we could use as a foundation for this concept, I I felt repeatedly drawn to King David. What a guy. You know, a shepherd boy. Shepherd boy turned king with a small bout of adultery and murder along the way. There's somebody we could learn from, eh? Yeah. So I felt like the Lord was showing me the details of this concept about the power of your life and how it all works by looking at the rich material in the Old Testament describing the walk of David. So we're going to subtitle this, The Power of Your Life, with the tagline, A Study in the Life of David. Okay? Ask me how long it's going to be. I don't really know. Probably 15 years, maybe. I don't know. Let's just, let's just take it one week at a time, okay? So, Father, we do bow before you in, in your mighty name and... You know, Karen and I, we just continue to be grateful for the good people that you bring in this place, these, these people like us who want so badly to know you, but we struggle. We struggle with sin. We struggle with things we understand. We struggle with things we don't understand. We, we struggle, and so we just come to you as a body, Lord, again this week, like every week, and just ask your Holy Spirit to come, come out of the package. We invite you to come, Lord, and... Uh, just blow on us in the truth of your word and what you have to say, what you, what you were really thinking when you called this church into being and thought about today. I thank you for each person here, Lord. And I know, I know, I know that they have inside of them this power that's waiting to get out and bring you glory. Thank you for the so many expressions of it that we've already seen, Lord, and we just want more. We just want to help 
every person get to that place of being a free flow of the power that you have put resident within us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for our first text in the study, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And uh, once again, if you're here today and you do not own a Bible, uh, I would love to give you one. So if you'll just come up after the service, if you don't own one, I'd be happy to, more more than happy to give you one. For, uh, 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's not very far from the beginning. It's only about this little far here, about three-eighths of an inch from the beginning in this Bible. And uh, specifically chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, which is where the story of David really begins. And I should probably warn you that for this series, I plan to teach uh, from the RSV, which is the Revised Standard Version. Uh, that'll make some of you Methodists very happy. Uh, I normally use the NIV, the New International Version, and it's probably what a lot of you have. And so the words might be a little bit different, but the meaning is very much the same. And I'm going to use the RSV for, uh, for reasons which I think will make a whole lot more sense to you at, toward the end of the message here, okay? So can you hang on to that? Before I read the passage, uh, let's, I would like for us to think a little bit about what 1 Samuel actually is. What do we call that? Context. Thank you. You may go, Marie. Wonderful. It's context. What is the con- what's happening? There, there are two books in the Old Testament which bear Samuel's name. You probably already figured out that if there's a 1 Samuel, there's probably at least a 2 Samuel, right? Maybe more. You'd right, be right to stop at two. These two books describe a critical period in Israel's history and center largely around the ministry of a prophet named Samuel and a lot of the stuff that was happening in Israel at the time. Samuel was a big deal. Samuel was a big deal in his day. His life is is worthy of careful study, uh, especially if you're in any phase of raising children. You'll find some lessons attached to his life around the people of his life that uh, that could be really helpful for you. Anyway, at the time of our passage here, we're jumping into Israel's Uh, history toward the end of the reign of their first ever king, who was named Saul. Israel had never had a king before Saul, but they were previously led by people called patriarchs, which means fathers. Patriarchs were like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and these are the patriarchs, and they were the leaders, because at that time in the development of Israel's history, they were pretty much a family. They weren't really a nation in the same respect, but they were a family, and so the father led the nation, and they were led by patriarchs. As they developed and got into Egypt and and multiplied by the thousands and tens of thousands then, God raised up a prophet leader named Moses. So he was different. He he said he was the the greatest prophet ever. So he was a prophet, but not in the typical sense that we think of Isaiah, right, or Ezekiel. He seemed a little different in the way he went about his prophecy, but they were led by this, uh, this prophet leader named Moses. And then after that, they were led by a series of good and, and bad judges. Uh, you know, it was kind of a real roll of the dice on who was leading them through these judges. You know, you had Gideon, and you had Deborah, and you had Samson, and these are all examples of how God used men and women to lead the people of Israel through these judges. But the Bible says that the Israelites had taken note of something, and what they had taken note of is that they felt kind of weird. They felt kind of weird in looking around and seeing that every other country had a what, you know? A king. They were ruled by something called a king. And so they were feeling weird that they were ruled by judges and that they they didn't have a cool king like everybody else. Well, in spite of the fact that God had 
repeatedly made known to his people that I'm your king. I'm all the king you're ever going to need. He kind of buckled. I, I, I see it as kind of, not buckled, but he, 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 he gave in to their whining. I don't know. Parents, can you, can you relate to any of this? You are the sovereign ruler of your home, right? Oh, yeah, until, all right, fine, have a king. It, I, it, I think is one way to look at this. It's a common way to look at this. But this first king was a, was a man named Saul. He was everything you'd want in a king. He was tall, he was handsome, he was bald, and he was funny. And I, <clears throat> and there you go. <laughs> uh, he, he was kind of the guy you'd probably pick out of the crowd as the king, you know. And Saul had some very good days, and Saul had some very bad days. His reign was marked by some military successes, some military failures, and he had times of seeking God and times of ignoring God. And in the end, he pretty much shut God out of his authority. Kind of went off the edge there. And uh, God, in turn, the Bible says, rejected him as king. And it's at this very point that our st- story with David begins, okay? First Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, you come peaceably. You see, at this point, Saul was off the rails. And so anybody that was was very insecure, anybody who was perceived to be against him, doing anything against them was, right? And so you can understand the response, like, what are you doing here? And uh, which was why God gave him the the little strategy to get in, right? Uh, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Now, rejected doesn't mean, you know, kind of the way we think about it, like, uh, like you're out of, I, I want nothing to do with you, but he's not, I haven't picked him. He's not the guy, okay? My hand is not on him is what it means. And so when it said that the Lord had rejected Saul as king, it meant he had lifted his hand from his, his, uh, his reign because Saul had abandoned him. Does that make sense? Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not, I love this, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I love that. That's what we're doing here, you guys. That's what we're doing here. We're dealing in hearts. On the outward, we may not be the prettiest thing around. But you, you take some time to look at these hearts. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made 
Shema passed by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, ah, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. That's key. But behold, he's, he's so pitiful that we have him just out keeping the sheep. Okay. Behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Oh, that must have been tough. He's the youngest. This sounds like a repeat of a story I heard in Genesis, doesn't it, with Joseph? And his, does this sound like something God's up to? Taking the weakest and the smallest and the least likely? Making something great? Yeah. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord, I love this, came mightily upon David from that day forward. Something happened on that day. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. There we go. So you have a young shepherd boy out in the field doing his shepherd thing while his older brothers are living the good life at home. Being a shepherd in those days was not a privilege, it was a sentence. It was long, boring hours, isolated, and you ended up smelling like the sheep you were looking after. Being a shepherd was the thing you did if you really couldn't do anything else. You were despised by many and rejected by the others. You were the scorn of the righteous and the butt of many jokes. This is what a shepherd was. So when Jesus came along and said, I am the good shepherd, it was only added to the scandal of his already scandalous ministry. See, like Jesus did this stuff on purpose, didn't he? I am the good shepherd. I would like the tax collectors and the prostitutes to be among my followers. That's good news for me. Yeah. David was a lonely, stinking shepherd living out his early years in relative obscurity. But God had other plans for David. God saw something of power and greatness in David that no one else had apparently seen. David's own father didn't even see enough of anything in him to include him in the original lineup of sons for Samuel to consider. That's a problem. But as it says clearly in the passage that while man looks at the outward appearance, God knows what's in his heart. And while man was overlooking and even rejecting David based on his external observations, God was pursuing David because of what he knew, what, he knew, what power and, uh, and greatness was living inside of him. So I think the principle plays out like this. That inside of each of us, God has sown something. God has put something in there. There's something in there. And your humanity's all wrapped up in it. But God has sown something, and the whole dynamic of relationship with him is to just keep making that more and more and more of the expression of your life and of my life. We know this, don't we, Ben? 
And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us, is to just take all of our humanity, all of our humanity, and press what God has sown into us through it. Well, if you uh, read the ensuing account of David's life and some of the many psalms that David wrote, you may come to the conclusion that I have, and that is simply this, that David believed God. He was a shepherd, and he believed God. And David believed God when when, uh, the prophet Samuel came and anointed him as the future king of Israel. David believed in his heart that God had sown power and greatness in his life. David believed God. And this really brings us to the first step of the pursuit of this power and the uncovering of this power in your life, Bill. And it's just believe God. Believe him. Just make the decision to believe what God is saying about you. In our passage, it shows that David uh, responded in faith to the anointing of Samuel. Verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. As I mentioned, this would have been a risky thing to do. David did not have to cooperate with this anointing. He didn't even have to come in from the field. He didn't have to stand. He could have said, Oh, not me, not me, not me. He could have... He could have borne this false humility that we see in so much of the church. Oh, God could never use me. Why are you arguing with God? He put this in you. It's God who works in you. And this act would have immediately made him the scorn of his brothers, as we're going to see in the very next chapter, next week. But instead of arguing with God, instead of responding with a myriad of excuses as to why he shouldn't be anointed this way, David stood for the anointing. He stood for the anointing. And this, this was a true act of faith. This was the act of faith. By standing for the anointing, he's saying, I'm going to believe the message of God born to me by this prophet. I'm going to believe. He believed God. And the Bible says this about every authentic follower of Jesus Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Come on, give me a break. Do you believe this, that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do something that God has prepared and that God has already sown into you? Something to discover, something to walk out. Something that brings him a kind of incredible glory. Do you believe this? Well, this is where it begins. The discovery of it begins by believing it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do the things I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Do you believe this? Oh, come on. Really? Do you believe that because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you have resident within you the power to do the very things of Christ, as he said? So the question that falls on us from this passage and this truth is simply, are you a person who will stand for your anointing? Are you a person who will respond to God in belief and say, I'll stand for my anointing, I'll show up for my anointing, And I'll believe God. And discovering the secret power of your life begins by simply but fully believing that there actually is a secret power (laughs) resident in your life. 
That's the first step of the journey. We have some giants to slay along the way and some other things to do in order to get it released. But it begins by believing. And listen, be very careful here. Just stop, start by believing that it's true and then stop. Don't, don't go on to the next step of saying, and here's what it is. Just start with a blank sheet of paper. I've seen this mistake made countless numbers of times of people who get that stirring and they say, yeah, God has something inside me. And then they start looking around and saying, I like what that guy's doing. I think I want to be some version of that. Stop, don't do that. Because we're going to see David try to go to war in Saul's armor. And he said, I can't fight in this stuff. It's not my anointing. So all I'm asking you to do today is just believe. Believe that God has set within you some resident power in your life, some impact that he wants to make on the world through you. Don't start filling in the blanks about what it's going to be. It's too soon. Just believe. Just believe. Just show up for your anointing. That's all. David didn't become king over Israel right away. There was a period of time before he became king over Israel. He just showed up and he just believed. Just stop there or you may miss the powerful thing that God wants to do through you by trying to be your version of someone else that you see. Does that make sense? I need to tell you about someone who had an incredible impact on my life. Her name is, uh, and maybe was at this point, I don't really know, Mrs. Floyd Bennett. Can I tell you about Mrs. Floyd Bennett? So, most of you know my story. Not really raised in the church. Raised by parents who weren't really active in that. But we would go to church every now and then, Christmas and Easter. They even had us baptized as infants, just in case, you know, stuff like that, you know. I've told you how many times that I heard the name Jesus Christ in my house every single day, many times, but... It wasn't in prayer. It wasn't in worship. And for a while, it's grown up in the suburbs of Los Angeles. We went to this Methodist church. I don't remember why we went. We went just for a little while. And I think maybe I've told you before that there was a the pastor there. I'll never forget his name, Reverend Weirbach. How can you forget a name like that even when you're eight years old, right? Reverend Weirbach. Reverend Weirbach used to stand up in his pulpit with his robe on, and there was something cool about him. I remember sitting between my mom and my dad and listening to him. Dad was looking at his watch, you know. And I remember going, man. I remember having this thought, and I was seven when I had this thought. That man's going to go to heaven when he dies. I can tell because he's up there with a robe on and he's saying things about God. Surely he's going to go to heaven, right? I had no knowledge of the gospel. And I remember sitting there going, someday I'm going to be one of those guys in one of those robes and I'm going to go to heaven too. I remember having that thought. Well, I guess I must have gone to some version of Sunday school for however many weeks we did this. It couldn't have been terribly long. We've kind of visited in and out of this place. Because I have in my possession here 
an RSV Bible that was given to me on August 30th, apparently, 1964, which would have been just past my ninth birthday. Reverend Weirbach's signature is in the bottom. I googled Reverend Weirbach's name this week. He, just on the outside chance that he would be alive, he'd have been in his 90s, and I learned that he just passed away this last January. Just missed it. His wife was still living, so I wrote her a letter. Gave her a picture of this. Told her about all you all. Hope that blesses her. But it says here, it was presented to Tom Paquette, First Methodist Church, Canoga Park, California, August 30th, 1964, Mrs. Floyd Bennett, teacher. I feel certain this is not the Floyd Bennett of aviation history fame, but probably just a Mrs. Floyd Bennett. I, if it was Floyd Bennett's widow, he died in 1928, she would have been like 70. And I remember, if I have a recollection of this lady at all, she was more like Donna Reed to me, you know? <laughs> Remember? That's the lady who gave me this Bible, if I have any memory at all. But I thought about Mrs. Floyd Bennett and that the power of God was resident in her life to do what? To give me this Bible. To give me this Bible. Because as you can see, I've worked this Bible over, and even after we moved out of California and we didn't go to church, and I would secretly read this Bible, and I, would, I remember, even before I met Karen, reading this Bible, and she told me about the gospel. There are only three verses underlined in this whole Bible. I didn't even know you could underline in a Bible. I underlined John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why did I underline that? And then the next one is Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why did I underline that? I underlined John 3.16 as though I had found the, the unknown treasure to the world. All because of Mrs. Floyd Bennett, who planted in me a seed that led me to my wife, who showed me Christ, that let, opened a series of possibilities for me. And now the thousand of you come here in your pursuit of Christ. Why? Because of Mrs. Floyd Bennett. I don't know what she was like on that day. I don't know if she was one of those teachers that, you know, prayed for the rest of her life for every kid she ever had in Sunday school. Or I don't know if she got up early on August 30, Sunday, August 30th, 1964, and went, oh, crap, we got to give the Bibles out today, and started filling in the front and says, oh, Tom, Tommy, I hope that kid doesn't come today because he's such a pain. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that there's resident power in her life. And by, by being faithful to the call of God in her life, which was to teach Sunday school in 1964, that power was released toward me and who knows how many others are connected to her throughout the world. And I'm just saying, are we all called to be kings like David? Of course not. That's not where we're going with this. But we're calling, we're going to, what's the resident power in your life that's waiting to be released? And it all begins with this simple step, just to believe. Just to believe. Believe that it's true. Just to believe. 
And it's a way to stand for your anointing. There are some of you right here right now who are being stirred inside you going, this is a fresh message for me. This is a stirring. There's something going on inside of me. Maybe you're seeing it in a way you haven't seen it before, thought about it when you haven't thought about it before. Maybe the Holy Spirit himself is just working inside you. Maybe you feel some heat. Maybe your heart is racing. I don't know. Maybe your palms are sweating. But God is doing something in some of your lives. And he's saying he's, he's right. He's bearing witness to my words. And he's saying he's right that this part of the Bible is absolutely true for you today, that there's something inside you waiting to get out. And if that is true of you, and I only want it this to happen if it is true of you individually, personally. If that is true for you, I want to invite you to right now stand for your anointing. If there's just a stirring inside of you that says, I want to just stand, for, I want to believe God that whatever time it is in my life, because as we're going to see in this series, none of your excuses will work. If you're being stirred, you're being stirred. It's never too early. It's never too late. And you just want to stand for your anointing. I'm not going to trick you and say, oh, now you're standing, come up here. I'm not going to do any of that. Just stand. If that, if this is stirring in